Welcome to the Leadership Unscripted podcast presented by Hiring Strategies. The Leadership Unscripted podcast is your go-to source for all things people management oriented. In each episode, we discuss industry trends, problems, and more importantly, offer solutions. We are so happy you could join us. I'm Kim Leifson with Hiring Strategies, where we teach organizations how to attract, engage, and keep top performing employees. And today we have Sarah Jantosh uh, with us. Sarah is the founder of SRJ Coaching and Consulting, and she's the creator of the values-based career method. Leadership Unscripted really is unscripted. We want to hear from you. So candidates, we want to hear your frustrations and questions about this job market. And employers, we want to hear your frustrations and questions about this job market. And then Sarah and I want to help bridge that divide today um, and answer those questions that you have. We want this discussion, again, to be guided by you. So please enter your questions into the chat box um, so that we can have a good discussion today. Sarah, welcome. Thank you for being here. I'd like to start by having you tell us about the values-based career method. What does that look like? How did you develop it? What does it do for people? Sure. First, thank you so much for inviting me to speak on your podcast and be here with Leadership Unscripted. I'm excited about this. I'm sure it's going to be a fun conversation, Um, but values-based careers. I, um, this method is something that I created because I found that there was a need both in my personal life, but then also in the marketplace for really centering career pivots around values. I created this method over the course of the past several years, um, after going through a very major career pivot for myself from a successful government career into entrepreneurship, but values-based careers very simple. We center on core values and decide what those are and build out a mission for your career from there that's driven and personalized by the individual. So I have a couple of programs and processes that I work with clients on, but the essence of it is diving into those values, deciding what they are, and then going through a three-step process. That's career exploration, career acquisition, and the transition piece. And that helps folks transfer into a new career. Generally, most of my clients do pivot who come to me. That's kind of the overview, but we can dive into it more um, as we continue on. Very cool. Can you tell me a little bit about your career pivot? Tell us about how, what happened there and how um, you generated this values-based thing because of that. Yeah, absolutely. So going back early on, I have uh, at this point 15 years of experience with political campaigns and had a career in government administration that I loved. I started out as an assistant, uh, got my bachelor's degree in politics and government, went into state government, um, had a variety of roles starting off in the boards and commissions office in Ohio, helping the governor actually appoint to state boards and commissions and judicial seats. So think of your state medical board, cosmetology board, things like that. And then went on to do some education policy work where I ran multi-million dollar grant programs and finished off in a senior staff role um, in the administration. 
And finally getting to a point where the work that I loved, I had a team under me, I was working on statewide outreach and then working directly on policy. It was kind of like that dream career for me at that point in time, but it ended because in Ohio, we have term limits. So for the Ohio governor and Lieutenant governor, they can only serve a maximum of two four-year terms. So I knew when my end date was going to be because we couldn't run for re-election. So I knew that in advance, knowing when I took the job that there was eventually going to be an end date, but it was still a wonderful experience. As you can imagine, working in that type of environment can be stressful. Certain skills are used, other skills are not. And so when I was exploring what I was going to do next, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to stay in government, if I wanted to go into government affairs or government relations, or if I want to do something completely different. And I decided to go the completely different route after a very extensive process of researching, doing informational interviews, and networking for about eight months. I chose a job based out of passion and passion alone. And for me, that wasn't a good fit because I didn't assess whether the culture was right for me, my personality, and my goals. And that's what drove me into entrepreneurship finished up my master's degree, which that was part of that process. And then I started a business and I found that through that whole process, there wasn't really a roadmap and no one had really done, nobody close to me had done what I had done. And a lot of people didn't really understand what I was doing, right? When I was talking about my work for, when I was talking to companies and prospective employers, you can transfer those skills, but it's really hard to do and to communicate well if you're not working with somebody. And I I ran up against that. Um, the other thing that's kind of challenging within those roles is when you're in government and politics, you'll be asked to work on certain projects or programs and you're not in a role for five years because the program might only be a two-year program. And so when employers are looking at that, they're saying, oh, you're a job hopper, not a job hopper but it looks like that. So transferability of skills was really difficult for me as it is for a lot of folks. And when I looked back at that, I noticed that there were some specific pain points I had with networking as an introvert. And there was a process I went through where I created generosity-based networking, which is part six part strategies, but also mindset. And it comes together and I started um, packaging that up, teaching it. And I now, you know, talk to a lot of organizations and share this with other people and train folks on it. But that was kind of the starting place of creating values-based careers because through that networking, I talked to a lot of people and I got a lot of advice. And because I was talking to so many people, I eventually ended up getting conflicting advice and I wasn't sure what to do. And there's that adage of like, take everything with a grain of salt, which is relevant. But if you're taking everything with a grain of salt, but it still conflicts and you're not looking inside, no amount of advice is going to be able to help you. So I crafted that from my own pain point of having a very stressful career move into a culture that wasn't a fit for me. And it was an organization I knew a lot about. And so I looked at that process and I basically mapped it out. And then I did research and then I piloted it. I piloted with a group of individuals, all of the people in the pilot successfully transitioned. And I knew at that point I was onto something. And that's when I launched the values-based career method and started serving clients um, in this way. I love it. You said something um, 
that really struck a nerve for me and that I want to dig a little bit deeper on. And that is, um, no, without looking inside, you can't possibly know where to go or what to do, right? You're going to get conflicting information. You're looking at skills, you're looking at um, experience, you're looking at what's available and you're trying to mesh the two together. Yeah. But until you, and in uh, in your instance, and I think in a lot of, in the case of a lot of the people that I talk to, they try to force those two together and it ends up not working. <clears throat> so that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was, you know, I think that our society has it completely wrong because we are filling chairs from the employer side and from the candidate side, we're trying to get a job. And so we're, we're putting puzzle pieces together that don't fit um, just based on skills and what we need done. And instead of looking at this overall, who are we and what do we need both from an, an organization standpoint and from a candidate standpoint, um, I think that's something that as a society, we're really, really missing. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So in, in my context, this pops up with almost every single candidate or um, potential client that I meet with. Um, I will ask them when we meet, you know, what, what are some of your values? Like what's driving you? And usually I get a mixture of responses. I get a blank stare. I get kind of totally stumped or I get um, a couple of things thrown out that like maybe one value or two at best case scenario. And then usually what happens, I'll wait. And then they go, okay, I need at least this salary. I need this kind of PTO. I want a remote job or a hybrid job or an in-person job. And then they'll tell me like a couple of other things, which is great. Like those are important qualifications, but that's like stage two, right? Like getting into after you've known, like created your mission and all of that. And that's what I see like on the micro level. Um, but it's, it starts really early. Um, when we're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. And I think that we should be asking kids, what, what kind of person do you want to be? What values do you want to espouse? Maybe not using that word, maybe something a little bit simpler, right. um, but like what character traits and um, you know, that's what I think what, what kind of trips people up a lot early in career because they're looking external. I mean, I was looking external and before I did this. It was you show up for an interview. You try to do everything you can to comport to the the questions to try to get the job. It's trying to make sure you present yourself and all of that. And then what I've also noticed, and probably I'd be curious about your experience, but um, a lot of individuals don't ask questions at the job at the end of a job interview because they don't know what to ask because they haven't done that inner work or don't have those values or don't know what kind of work culture will actually work for them. And they Google, what should I ask at the end of a job interview? And the answers don't resonate or mean anything. And they're not informative. And then right. they don't find the right fit. They might get into the job, hate it, and then leave. Right. Right. Because it's never been that relationship between employer and employee or candidate and interviewer, right. Has never been a relationship. It's been a transaction. It's been, um, you give me work, I'll give you pay. 
And we don't encourage that conversation in an interview, right? The, just the word interview kind of um, makes it, it's a one-way street, right? Yeah. And it really shouldn't be. You know, um, I was talking to someone recently who was interviewing for a job in the government. And it was a very structured process. This person received an email. And in, in the email, it it said, you will be asked 10 questions. You will... Um, you will not be able to ask any follow-up questions based on those questions. You can ask us to repeat the question one time and um, you will be allowed to ask two questions at the very end. And I was like, how are you going to get to know this candidate? How is this candidate going to get to know you as an employer if you're not able to ask the kinds of things that they need to know to know if this is the kind of culture they want to work in. If you're the kind of leader that they're going to work best for. Um, We've all had that coach, that parent, that teacher, that mentor who was able to get the most out of us. And that is what I don't think we're teaching our kids how to do that, to, to look at who was that coach that, that, inspired you that got you out of your shell that what was it about them that helps them be successful growing you and then allowing them to ask do you in this organization have these qualities you know how do you manage people what sort of environment is this that I'm going to have to work in um and I'm hearing a lot too from employers about I've hired someone and they only lasted two weeks Mm -hmm. or they only lasted three months. What's going on? Like they didn't even give it a fair shot. Well, they went in and they noticed right away that this is not what I thought it was going to be because they typically weren't allowed to ask those questions. So you're absolutely right. We're, I think we're doing our, not I think, I know you're doing ourselves a huge disservice when it comes to fit and um, not exploring that. What has been, what is some of, what are some of the things that you tell your, um, the people that you work with, how to get at that in an, in a, in an organization? What sort of questions do you encourage them to ask and what sort of information do you use to help them better understand themselves? Yeah. So this is such a good question. Um, So it goes back to values, as you can probably imagine. Um, But I have a standard list of like questions to get them brainstorming and thinking. I have my own personal favorite questions to ask, which I will share in a moment. But what we start with after we dive into values and make those decisions and do some other work around that we create um, a data. So there's, I have a a sheet, we create it. It's called a data-driven offer evaluation tool. It's so fun. It sounds so boring when you open it up on the spreadsheet, but it's so powerful because what we do is we find, identify five criteria. Mm -hmm. The first criteria is where those values get stuck in that they've decided on. And then the other four, the most four important components of them to the job. So those things we've talked about, like salary, benefits, hybrid flexibility or remote work, um, you know, they run the gamut of all the things. 
um, whether or not the employer, I don't know, works in a particular industry. Anything counts. And we take those next four buckets and identify what those four things are. And then from there, we create like, what's the ideal? What's the okay, good enough? And then what's the line that if it's below this, I'm walking for each and every one of those things. And then that literally creates a map for them where they can see one, influencing their strategy for which jobs they look at. But two, we go to this document and we brainstorm, if these things are important to you, how do we get, how do we formulate questions? And there's some back and forth that we work through in coaching sessions to get there. But that usually helps drive at, if somebody has a value of, let's say independence, and it's like one of their top values, and they need autonomous work. And if their manager is kind of checking in three times a day, that's going to be overwhelming for them. That is going to be something that we highlight and actually weight even higher, potentially sometimes more than salary and other things like that. And that's how we drive that fit part. But in terms of general questions, there are a couple of questions that I love to ask. When you are meeting with, a, so everyone's heard, you, you know, people leave managers, not companies, right? Absolutely. My favorite question to ask managers is this, what is not just what is your coaching style? Cause they can kind of talk about anything or what is your leadership style? It's, it's a behavioral question. So in the same way that companies will ask star-based behavioral questions, I coach my folks to ask, tell me about a time where you were coaching an employee, scrubbing all of the confidential details, of course, and how did you coach them to success? Whether or not this was a, like, I typically like to get out of the performance evaluation issues type questions because good coaches, managers as coaches are going to proactively coach all of their people, not just their low performers. And so that question gets at, do you know how to be a coach and can you coach me? And they'll be listening for, I coach my folks to listen for how they respond because if the manager says, oh, we have, you know, team meetings once a week and that's how we collaborate and that person doesn't love that style, that's going to be a problem. So that's one question. But another one I ask, which usually, um, which I love to have my folks ask is um, kind of throws managers off, off course a little bit, but it's really great. And I have them ask this from the initial recruiter screen all the way through of each person is why did you join this company and why are you still here? Or why did you stay? It's usually really telling I will say like 50% of the time or more people give a very general answer, but you get a lot of information as to what the culture really is inside of the organization. And if it's something that you align with. Absolutely. Those are the two big ones. Right. Oh, I love it. Thank you for sharing those. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, if the organization allows them to ask questions, right. (laughs) (laughs) What you shared about that reminds me of my experience when I was working at a state agency, I was involved in hiring for bargaining unit positions and we weren't as strict to only allow them to ask two questions, but we had our questions and we could not veer from them. And there was no conversation as a result. And it was not, I wouldn't say it was the most fun interviewing I've ever Right. For yeah. hiring candidates. Yeah. I mean, we found great candidates, right. That fit. Um, but it was very much, it felt like a, not very warm, fun, you know, collaborative process. Do you think you in that, in that process, do you think you lost some candidates to that process? Do you- Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, one of the things from that, sorry to cut you off, but no. yeah, I think we do because um, when you ask a question a particular way, 
sometimes that the way in which you're asking the question doesn't resonate with all people who might be able to have that skill set. And if they mishear the question or don't understand the question, you've effectively like they're going to get a rating that's very low on that question, whether or not they have the skills and the experience to be able to do the job in relation to that question. So yeah, we, we do. I can't remember a specific instance and in where we lost like a really good candidate due to that, but it definitely shuts off the opportunity to learn more. Right. Uh, from both sides. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I want to talk about today is um, what from the candidate side, how can I know if I'm floundering out there. I'm lost. I don't know what I want to do next or what my passion is or that college student who's like, I'm going to school, but I don't know what I'm going to school for. Right. God forbid you're spending all that money and you don't know what you want to do. (laughs) Um, Right. Um, What are some tips that you can give them to think about, um, to start thinking about what are some of your passions and what are some of your values? Yeah, this is a great question too. I think, um, so sometimes it's a little bit different. What I've found like college through like late twenties is a slightly different time frame than like, you know, 30 and above. And so the advice is slightly different for those folks who are in college in their twenties, say yes to things like say yes. If you don't know, say yes. Like if you're not sure, say yes, right? Because until you get out there and try some things, you have to have some trial and error to figure some things out. And there are people who know exactly what they want to do. And even then that trial and error is still helpful. But once you get like, and folks in their twenties and college can still use these kind of tips. But once you get into like that 30 range and 30 and above, it's a little bit different because you've tried some things out and you've been able to collect a lot more data. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is like, look at the data that you already have, or for those who are a little bit more intuitive and gut feeling, look back to those like feelings that you've had about things. What have you liked about certain situations, whether that's a class or a job, even a high school job, something that you were maybe super passionate about or obsessive about in high school could have relevance today. So don't discount those things. That's one item. So say yes. Number two, like look back for themes, but there's another one. And that is to, um, before, first and foremost and everything, like you have to, you have to find a way, whether that's working with a coach or on your own to take the judgment that you have over the things that might be interesting to you or the values that you have, or the ideas that you have. And you have to find a way to set aside that judgment, even temporarily to be able to dig into those things. Because if you cannot set the judgment aside, you're not going to get very far. And that's why folks end up getting stuck in careers that maybe their family members or their outside influences were like, you should do this. This is our family culture. Um, I came from one of those where like, I was supposed to be a lawyer, but that was not something that ultimately aligned up. And um, the other thing is finding resources. There are people who know you, know you well, that you can trust, who don't judge you. Lean on those people and ask them for feedback because some of those friends and family are going to be able to provide that for you in a way that's really supportive. Yeah. These are just a couple. I love it. I love the, you know, especially the inspiration, right? What's given you inspiration in the past? What excited you? 
um, start journaling some of that stuff is what I tell folks. Um, but I also, I also like to tell people, what are the things that make you think about the things that make you angry or upset? Because mm-hmm. those can lead to careers of, I want to fix this. I want to change things. And I think we're saying a lot of that right now in the social justice world. Yep. Um, what are your thoughts? I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that piece. I, I love this exercise that like picking something that you're angry, brainstorming, it's kind of hard to get into for some folks. I was just coaching a client earlier today on this exact topic. So like, I love this. Um, but those things that like you make you angry are the things that either you've like solved for, or you want to solve for. And I think that sometimes we don't think about designing our careers around things that make us upset or angry because it's like, oh, well, that just calls us stress, but actually that creates passion. And so I think it's really helpful. But what I coached this client on today was to basically start creating a list and brainstorming those things going all the way back. Mm -hmm. including things that they've already solved for. That's part of why I do some of the advocacy and like political work that I still do today, because I, now that I've pivoted, found the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, right? Um, There are things that are really, really important to me that we need to do. And we have not hit the levels that we need to in this country. And um, they're really important to me. One of them is seeing 50% of elective office being women. It's a big mission of mine. Um, but outside of that, it's those things that are so big because that when you take something that you're angry about, you know, if you don't go through the values method, if you take something you're angry about, you can create a mission that is bigger than you. And then you can start to build a career on that. And suddenly it doesn't matter if you have to take a W-2 job, say, to pay the bills, you can work on the side on advocacy or on something that makes you light up or a side project or a business that can fuel your passion and also support you. Absolutely. Great. Thank you for commenting on that. It's I'm, it's interesting that you were just having that conversation today. I love it. But this is real life stuff, right? That we're yeah. talking about. It's not all esoteric out there, not tangible. It it is stuff that's happening every day, um, especially right now. Um, One of the other things that I want to touch on is this notion of using chat GPT to um, answer all of the interview questions, right? I saw, I literally saw someone say, Hey, I've discovered this new thing, type in all the interview questions, and then it'll give you answers or, um, do it in reverse, right? Give your answers and it'll punch out questions. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like we are teaching, we're coaching people on how to answer interview questions, which mm-hmm. means you're not getting the real person. You're getting a canned response. Um, and so I have this passion and pet peeve around everybody hiding their weaknesses right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's on both sides. If the candidates are hiding their weaknesses, they're only showing their strengths. The organizations are hiding all their weaknesses and all their skeletons that are in the closet, right? We don't want to talk about that. We don't want them to know this is a problem here. Um, when really what we should be saying is, listen, we have these problems. 
we have these deficits, we have these weaknesses, because the organizations or the, the good fits, the long term successful employee employer relationships are going to be those things where we fill those holes for each other. And so I think if we need to start teaching people to um, come with their strengths, but also don't forget, like, this is what I'm not good at. So if you need this or you don't have somebody to help fill that hole for me, this might not be a good fit for me because I need someone to help fill that hole. Um, thoughts on that? So you, you touched on a couple of things. So there, there are a couple of things. So there's one, the chat GPT, which I, I have some thoughts on. Um, and then <laughs> the, other, the other thing that popped up for me in that is you're talking about how like people don't aren't honest or like open about their weaknesses. One, I think that's like majorly societal and cultural. Absolutely. But it's funny because what is the one question that's in like every interview process? Like, what are your strengths and weaknesses? And I see so many other coaches online, like, you know, telling people exactly how to respond to this. That's not the type of coach I am because I work to empower people with their own values to then, if you know, your values and your stuff, like you can go to have a conversation with anyone. You don't need me to coach you what the answer is. So going back to chat GPT, I think that there is a purpose for chat GPT in a multitude of areas and the technology is amazing. And I, in fact, there was a speech that I gave earlier this year and I needed, you know, that blank page syndrome, mm-hmm. right? Getting started. I needed the blank page to not be blank anymore. So I went to chat GPT and I gave it some info and I said, just like, start it for me. I ended up reworking 95% of it, but it got me started in a matter of like five minutes where it could have taken me an hour. So like, great, right? Fantastic. But if you're using chat, I mean, I think you and I agree on this. If you're using chat GPT to spit out an answer on either side, it completely circumvents the idea of aligning on strengths, weaknesses, values, you know, anything like that. And that's, I think, frankly, not GBT, chat GPT necessarily, but I think that need to fit into a box and do it perfectly from the candidate's perspective and maybe from the employers too. I'd love your thoughts on that. Gets us into this trouble, frankly, where we're not owning some of those things. Um, one of my favorite things to coach people on when I we do mock interviews is how they tell their story in that like first question of tell me about yourself because most people kind of go through it like biographically, or they'll start with way too far back and it's too much information. Like we don't need to know where you were, you grew up or things like that. And people get really scared about talking about career gaps, even if they were intentional things like traveling or taking time to take care of their kids or whatever else. The employer I think if you found the right employer and you're having that good conversation, that employer is going to respect you owning that time to do those activities, whatever it may be. And I would argue the thing that we get into trouble with, so we're like, sometimes candidates are so focused on trying to get that job because they need it, that they're going to say things and be like, you know, I can do this. Maybe it's not a good fit. And I, I end up, I've noticed more and more over the past three years, mental health is a really big issue and the uh, the rates of mental health disease have gone up and there are employers who are not flexible and willing to work with that. And there are employers who are. And I think for anyone who's listening out there who has ever struggled with mental health, if you have a need, find a, an employer that's going to support you. 
do not put yourself in a situation where that's not supportive because it's not doing anything for you or the employer. So just a mm. side note on that, but we actually had a conversation on leadership unscripted with did you really? Adiola Mead about mental health in the workplace. So that is yes, something that we absolutely talked about. Yeah. So important. So what do you, what do you think for, how are employers using chat GPT? Uh, well, in lots of ways, like you said, positive and negative, right there. I think in my opinion, where it's successful is when we're using it to support, right? Mm-hmm. Not when we're using it as the answer. <laughs> um, it, 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 I, I think people don't realize how much of a disservice they're doing to themselves by using it as the answer. Uh, employers, candidates, when an employer uses it to generate the interview questions and what those responses should be, then what they're lacking is insight and the ability to problem solve. When you have two candidates and one candidate answers exactly how you want them to answer and the other candidate answers maybe with some weaknesses, um, Mm -hmm. but they have a better ability to collaborate with your team they're going to be more innovative. You should take the one who has the weaknesses. <laughs> if you can plug those holes, if you can fill those holes. But without, if we're just going based on chat GPT questions and responses, we're missing that whole conversation. And so we're doing candidates a disservice. We're doing employers, ourselves as employers, a disservice. So Again, my experience has been it needs to be a support, just like you mentioned, right? Using it to get the thought process started um, or to give you some ideas for something. I think that's a great way to use it, but not as the end-all be-all of an interview for questions or responses. Yeah, that that's my thoughts anyway, so far. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think a big part of this is, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, a big part of this is putting up that mirror, right? Mm -hmm. For both candidates and employers, I think it's important, and this is part of the weakness conversation, right? Putting up that mirror and saying, where am I lacking? What do we actually need um, from a fit standpoint, not just a technical skills perspective. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, your perspective on that? Yeah, this is one of the most, um, I think this is one of the most important things about getting support as a job seeker or job pivoter, whether that's a friend or a professional, um, because sometimes we don't always know what we don't know. And having that mirror is supportive, but there's so many things you can do to expand self-awareness and how, how that, how that works, whether it's diving into your values or assessments, which are fantastic too, because, um, in my practice, I use both, um, because they give different levels of insights. Right. Um, but one of the things like touching on assessments for a moment, because, um, I think these are really important. Like there's so many out there, right. But I think finding the right one that's supportive to give you the data and insights that you want, that is 
non-judgmental, right? Supports you. And I think one of the things that um, I think we've talked about before is understanding both the strengths and weaknesses of particular traits, because without that data, you're going to have potential gaps in your understanding. It's like being in that room and maybe continually repeating and doing some work and not realizing the gap or the weakness, because if you, and you understand it and recognize it, you can either gain support, learn, grow, or partner with somebody where you're going to align and they have the things that you're weak on, they're strong on and vice versa. Um, but there's a, so I recently did an assessment, uh, learned a little bit of more about myself, uh, which was interesting. And I have a history of taking assessments because I love them. Should have been an indication 20 years ago that this maybe was the work that I needed to be doing, but that's a whole side side conversation. But what I, I recently learned from one of these assessments is that it spit out some data that once I saw it, it was like, well, of course this is true. Like I, I know this is true, but seeing it on the page is another, it's a mirror, right? In a different way. And um, it was something that like, I know that is, it's my gut instinct on things, comparison to data and how I evaluate situations. And, um, but it was still seeing that on that page reminded me that sometimes I push myself too far into data-driven methods and don't lean into my strength. And as a result, I create some extra stress and stretching, right? I, I love to see what you think though about this one, because I think from your perspective on assessments and the things that you do for employers, because it's, it's both sides, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is both sides. And my experience, I have extensive experience with assessments as well. And um, I think the key to using those is finding one that doesn't give you all the positives, right? Um, that's the mirror that we need. We need, it's okay if it couches it in a positive way, because oftentimes our behaviors have a positive and they also have a negative. And it's where you apply that and in what situation and with whom it, does that become a positive or a negative. And so a lot of times the assessments, you know, pigeonhole us into one thing. We can only be maybe, or maybe four things, right? It's four quadrants, four colors, four whatever, um, four numbers, four animals. There's a million of them out there. Um but what they're not really getting at is that core, like who you are with those four quadrant tools. There's only like, I want to say like a hundred thousand or 200,000 possible combinations. Well, humans are way more complicated than that. <laughs> so to find a tool that, um, is much more extensive and gives you both the positives and negatives to who you are, right? Because there's positives and negatives to every single one of your behaviors um, and who you are at your core so that you can take that who you are and become self-aware enough to be able to apply it in the situations where it is a positive. And sometimes we have to get outside of our comfort zones that, that who we are in order to achieve something that we want, that we need. And that's okay. That's learn. That's the coaching and development and stress that that's okay. As long as we're buying into it for a reason for ourselves, 
not for somebody else, not because somebody else needs us to do this to be successful. It has to be us wanting to be successful in that particular area of our lives. Um, but I think it's all, I think usually companies are doing assessments on candidates and employees, but very rarely, we're starting to see it more nowadays. Are we seeing employers share their culture assessments with candidates and with employees, right? Um, and I think those are questions that candidates should be asking. Have you done a cultural assessment? Can I see those results, right? Yeah. A lot of those questions that you said, you know, um, why did you join this company and why do you stay? It's the why do you stay that's important, okay. right? <laughs> or, yeah, right? Or why have I've heard people ask, why um, did the last person leave, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's a question to get at the that deeper underlying cultural issue. Um, so yeah, I think that both sides need to look at, look in the mirror, use data to assess, um, who they are or not necessarily, it's not good. I tell people all the time, we're not, it's not going to tell you something that you don't already know about yourself, right? You said it, you knew all these things about you. It just helped you define it. Um, and to be objective, about who you are so that you can present that objective persona to the potential leader, the potential team, the potential organization, it working in a potential job, right? Sometimes personality and who we are at our core fits a specific job. It may not fit another job and that's okay. Um, we just have to know that and make a decision about it. But if we're but if we're making those decisions without all the information, then that's when you get they quit and I, I they quit and they shouldn't have quit. They regret their decision. I made a decision to go into a field that I never should have gone into. Um, I'm doing this job because my dad did it, my grandpa did it, and I'm just supposed to do it, right? You had that experience. Um without that data, I think we're again cutting off our nose despite our face. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, without the data, like it, I think one of the things that I really saw recently with looking at my, my results was that it really demonstrates the areas in which like I can pinpoint, I want to stretch here. And so it's worth a little bit of stress, you know? Right. But then it was your decision, right? Exactly. Your yes. decision. That makes it easier. Right? Yeah. I want to accomplish this. So if I want to accomplish this, then I need to get outside of my comfort yes. zone to accomplish this versus someone saying to you, Sarah, this is a growth opportunity for you. You got to get uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I don't really want to grow that, that direction. <laughs> I don't want to learn how to do that. Or I have no desire to go to that next level, right? I think leadership is a good example of that. I know mm -hmm. there are people who yep. have turned down leadership roles because it was not a good fit for who they are at their core. They were a doer, a task-oriented person. And kudos to them for being self-aware enough to say, this is not the role for me. I'm taking a step back. 
I admire that and respect that so much rather than trying to push your way up the chain of command to get to a top when you look around and go, why am I here? (laughs) I don't want to be here. This isn't a good fit for me. I think that is what we're seeing in our society. I think we've seen the great resignation was the, uh, what's the word, the reset for that. Um, A lot of people finally went, I, I, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Let's see. Anything else that you want to talk about or share that I haven't touched base with so far? These topics are are fantastic. I I do there. I think there's one thing I want to add to about like this idea of a mirror, whatever form that mirror takes. Um, So one of the reasons this is really important is because it can help you filter I think earlier I mentioned, like when we take advice from people, always take everything with a grain of salt. Mm. It's not always enough because then you might find yourself doing something that you you start out on and it doesn't align and you're not sure why and you get frustrated and these indicators pop up, right? Stress, being argumentative, potentially being annoyed, not getting enough sleep, insomnia, dreading going to work, not being able to be productive or do anything when you get home from work, not being able to work on your goals, whatever, like Sunday scaries, all those things are indicators that there's some form of misalignment, not that anything has gone wrong. But I wanted to share a story because there is something I've always known about myself, but this, this assessment, like just kind of reinforced for me was that some people are really good at focusing on one thing at a time and that's where they shine. Other people are focused on, you know, a multitude of different project projects at the same time. And there are pluses and minuses, strengths and weaknesses for both. Right. Absolutely. And looking back um, in my academic career, the, the semesters that I had more things going on, I got better grades. So like the data was there, but I early on in my career, I was seeking out a leadership position of sorts um, in a program, applied, didn't get in, huge disappointment, um, and sat down with somebody and they told me, they gave me some advice and it was really hard advice to hear. So one, like if you're going to get feedback, like it might be hard to hear, but it's worth it. So I took that advice, wrote it down, marinated on it. And for the next several years, so one, just a pointing on that, I ended up reapplying, getting into the Institute. It was amazing. But I took that advice so deeply that like she thought that I was doing too many things. And I took that advice and I tried to apply it to my life over and over and over again. And I kept finding myself like bumping up and getting bored and being really unhappy. And um, it took like four years for me to stop doing it because I realized that that might be her strength and her perception of me is not who I am. And so I basically had to take that advice, which for me was misaligned and set it aside. And I think that that is why we have to have these conversations. That is how, why we have to know our values, look at what works for us, because what works for her, it wasn't bad advice because for somebody who focuses on one thing, that's exactly what they needed to hear. But for me, it was stifling and frustrating mm-hmm. and I had to put it aside and not listen to it. And so that's, I think it's really easy to be like, oh, well, somebody gave me bad advice. It's coming from their lens. And then the other thing is like, you don't want to take advice from somebody who isn't in the position you want to be in. Right. And if they have different skills, it might still not be the best advice for you. 
And that's why it's so important to really look inwards, right? To look inwards and know who you are and be able to articulate who you are very clearly um, because you're going to have feelings and emotions and you don't know where those feelings and emotions come from. It's about defining those so that you can articulate it. I think that's really important. And that's also true for organizations, right? They do the same thing. And so both sides really need to look at that. I actually have, I am the flip side of that, Sarah. Um, I had the exact same, the flip of that happen. I, I am more of a focus person, attention to detail person, and had a mentor of mine for years that I worked with for years who was trying to get me to do 10 things at once. And I was stressed to the max and thinking that I was failing, mm-hmm. right? And um, had to learn, I don't have to be that way. And in fact, I ended up getting sick. It actually manifested physically, oh um, I believe. And we talked about this on the other podcast with Dr. Adiola Mead. You should go listen to that one. Um, and so it does, it's going to come out at some point, somehow, some way, uh, unless we do this kind of work. Yeah, I, the kind of work that you help people do and guide people through. And so I would encourage those of you that are listening um, to, to really get a coach, talk to people, even if it's not a paid coach, you're going to get more out of it if it is a paid coach. Um, But talk to somebody who can be a mirror for you, somebody that you trust and um, is non-judgmental about who you are and accepts you for who you are. Yeah. Sarah, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you want people to know? I guess just thinking, I feel like we've covered so many things. Um, and I think focused on, you know, the fact that like, look at this theme of looking inward is more important than anything else. I think one thing I'll just say to like leave listeners with is that it is one of the most, is really hard to do because we are not like, that is not our primary method of gaining information and looking and trying to figure things out. Um, and so it is hard. So if you try to do it and it's not immediately easy, you're in really good company. Great point. Great point. And sometimes getting out of your own head and putting it out there with somebody else is really, really helpful. Awesome. We're going to put in the chat box your website address so that people know where to find you and how to find you um, if they so desire. Um, And for organizations that want to do a little bit of that inside work, if you want to know where are the areas that we are lacking, to attract, engage, and keep top performing people. Um, We're going to also put a link to um, a quick survey that you can take um, to see where do I need to focus my efforts um, uh, or our efforts as an organization to create a culture that's going to attract, engage, and keep top performing people. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. Have a wonderful rest of your evening and um, hopefully we'll chat again soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us um, and hopefully we'll see you next time on Leadership Unscripted. Thank you.